Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. Um, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, I believe it was, I started talking about restoring discipleship was what I titled the, the series. And then we had a couple of interruptions. One was Easter. And uh, so we shifted gears a little bit there. And then last week, the Holy Ghost just interrupted everything. And again, he's always welcome to do that. Um, but I want to continue on that track of talking about restoring discipleship and, and the, really just the title and the idea behind it is that discipleship is something that's been lost. Uh, the art of discipleship and the understanding of discipleship. And many of you have heard this because I've shared this a few times, but even the word disciple or disciples is used 300 some odd times, I believe, around there in the New Testament versus the word Christian or Christians is used three times. And so the, then there's nothing wrong with the word Christian. I call myself a Christian. We are Christians. It means we're Christ-like. But the idea of discipleship goes a little bit deeper instead of just, instead of just trying to act like him or fit into some you know, religious sect of society. Discipleship is more about sitting at the feet of Jesus and emulating Jesus. And a disciple means one who's learning. It means a learned one. And so if we get to the point to where we stop learning, then technically we've gotten to the point to where we're no longer a disciple. I probably wouldn't use that harsh of language with somebody if they're not learning, but really the idea of a disciple is one who continues to learn from the Lord. So then last, last time we talked about just the nature of what a disciple is, is a person who walks in humility. And that when you, when you look at the, the very nature of, of God, that is a huge part of his nature, that he's a very humble God. But he's called us to walk a life full of humility. And if we can do that, that's what will cause us to grow. So if a disciple is one who is learning, the only way you can learn is if you, you realize that you don't already know everything. Yes. Amen. And so when you realize you don't know everything, it's because you've come to a place of humility. And so that nature and, and that idea, that should be the thrust of every single person's life. And I really, truly believe the Lord has been rocking my world with so much all at one time. One of those things is, um, is about prayer. And I believe, and I and probably won't get this to this today, but I believe that prayer is probably the key ingredient we're missing to seeing tremendous revival awakening in our country. And the reason why is because whenever you have great revelation without prayer, what happens, the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. And so when people get all of this knowledge and understanding about particular things, even the grace of God, even the love of God, but they don't find themselves back down on their knees thanking God and seeking him for help, they find themselves in pride because when you pray, it brings you back to a place of humility saying, Father, I have to have you. I can't do this. I can't understand things without you. I can't move forward without you. And I believe that prayer is a really important part, and I'm going to get to that here in just a little bit, but let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start here with verse, I say verse 37, but what I want to do is I want to, I want to work, the Lord put something on my heart here that is kind of unique, and I want to work backwards with some scripture verses to reveal, to reveal something. So in Acts chapter 2, it was the day of Pentecost, and the power of God fell, they prayed in tongues, signs and wonders were done. And verse, verse 14 of um, chapter 2 of Acts, Peter uh, stood up and he, 
he preached and explained what happened. And he said, look, this Jesus whom you crucified, he is Lord, he is Christ, he is God. And then in verse 37, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And these were the, the people that had witnessed what went on. And Peter was giving explanation. But I want to fast forward a few verses. And then I'm going to work backwards to verse 37. And look here in verse 43 of Acts chapter 2. So verse 43 of Acts chapter 2. It says, then fear came upon every soul. Now, if you were to stop there, many people would say, boy, we need to pray against the spirit of fear, a different kind of fear. This is a holy reverential fear that fell upon these people. And it says many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, we can have, and I've done this many times, have messages to where, you know, we talk and we preach about signs and wonders and miracles and healings and, and you know, all of the miraculous things that could take place. And that's where you get people shouting and jumping and excited. And I like preaching that kind of stuff. I like to go to those things. But if you preach it for enough years and you don't see it on the level that you see it in the word, then you need to begin to ask, Lord, why aren't we seeing this, right? That's a logical question. You said we're supposed to preach it. I'm preaching it. I'm talking about it. What is it that is causing us or hindering us from seeing the fullness of many signs and wonders being done? Well, let's work in reverse order here. And I believe that there are seven main things that stood out to me in this passage of scripture that all go together. The, the seventh thing being that there were signs and wonders being done. The thing before that is that fear came upon every soul. You know, one of the things that's missing in the body of Christ today is a healthy reverential fear of the Lord. Man, I'm telling you, people don't fear God like they used to. And some people misunderstand this and they think you're supposed to be afraid of God. No, we come boldly into the throne room. But when you come in with boldness, you're not afraid of anything. But I can tell you now, even though I come in boldly, I come in with reverence because God is holy, he's mighty, he's just, he's the creator. He is all of the things way far above me that I'm not. And there needs to be a holy reverential fear for who he is. And if we're not careful, we can slide into a place of complacency and not hear what God's saying and not reverence his words with a holy fear. And I believe that that needs to be there. But let's go backwards even a little bit more. And you go to verse 42. And I'm going to get to this in a, in a little bit probably next week. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And so the thing that you see before that, this would be um, the fifth thing. So number seven was signs and wonders. Six was a, a fear, a reverential fear. And then number five was they, they continued steadfastly. And then if you go before that into verse 38, and these are just things that I pulled out that the Lord showed me is that there was remission or freedom from, and I'm going to talk about this in just a second. There was freedom from sin. There was remission from sin, and that brought them into freedom. But before that, there was repentance. Because look there, it says in verse 38, it says, then Peter said to them, repent. So then the second thing is, is that they were cut to the heart, again, working in reverse. But the first thing was, is that Peter Peter had said because then they heard it at the beginning of verse 37. So the very first thing is that people have to hear. So when the word is taught, when the word is preached, when the word is proclaimed, people have to hear it. You know, you can say all kinds of things that are from the Lord, but people have to hear it first. If you don't hear it, it's not going to benefit you. This is why Jesus said, for him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, if they didn't have physical ears, it wouldn't have been doing him any good to say if you have ears to hear because they wouldn't have heard it. 
He was saying, make a decision in your heart that you're going to hear with the ears of your heart the things that I'm saying. So when people hear, the next thing is, and this is the case there, is that it cut them to the heart. This means that the words that Peter spoke and these apostles spoke is that it literally pierced them right into their heart. And it was like the hardness and the things that they were dealing with, the, the wrong lifestyle, the wrong way of believing, all of the above. They heard words from these ministers that cut them right to the heart. And I believe that this is where a lot, this is where a lot of church, church ease stops, is that we'll hear, we'll have preaching, people will hear it. It will cut them to the heart, and then they move right into God. We want to see signs and wonders and miracles. That sounds good, and I would, I would like that, but I've watched the cycle of my own life and what the Lord has been doing, and what happens is that he'll say something that will cut me to the heart, and I'll be like, awesome, we're going to have tremendous things. But then what I don't do is I don't take that word and in essence, turn and take that word, walk in a different direction and apply it to my life. But when I started doing that, then I started to see supernatural things. It's almost like the Lord is saying, look, if you're going to skip all of the other steps, it's not going to work for you. There were things that took place here. They saw signs and wonders, but they had a fear of the Lord before that. They continued steadfastly. So sometimes people even want to miss that step. And it's just like we live in such a microwave society. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? If you see a, a video that's longer than like 90 seconds, you're like, I don't have time for that. And you sit for the next 30 minutes flipping through looking for 30 second videos. Come on. We all do that stuff. We live in such a quick fix, instant gratification society. People have lost the art of continuing steadfastly in what the Lord is doing. We have to stay steadfast in what the Lord wants us to do. But even, be, even before that, we have to find freedom. But before that, we have to come to a place of repentance. Let me show you this a little bit more from Acts chapter. And I'm going to read this very quickly here. Acts chapter 3. And in verse 19, it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come to you from the presence of the Lord. Repentance always has two parts. It's one is turning away from something and the other is turning to something. And so you, you don't just stop doing what you're doing. And I believe that this is the biggest, probably one of the biggest reasons why people struggle with sin so bad is that they, they go, I don't want to do this thing anymore. And at least for a moment, they'll turn away from the problem, but then they really just kind of turn to themselves and they really try to work like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Oh, man, I don't want to do that anymore. And although their heart might, might be in the right place, they don't make the full turn and turn to God. So I ministered this. I think it was on, it was on Easter where I talked about repentance from dead works and faith toward God. So repentance from dead works is talking about to where you stop trusting in yourself and you turn toward the Lord. That's, that's one full act that's supposed to, to go together. It's not just repentance and then faith toward God. It goes together. You repent from dead works and then you turn towards the Lord. So that's true for dead works. It's also true for a, for a sin issue or for even just the Lord saying, I want to change directions in your life. I want to help you. I want to, I want to move you. You've been going this way, and that's what I had for a season, but I want you to turn this way. You know what happens a lot of times is that people will turn it. I'm, I'm just speaking of myself for sure, that the Lord will say, I want you to do this, and I turn, and it's like, awesome, we're going this way, and I leave God in the dust, 
and I find myself, myself 300 miles down a 50-mile road going, what, what happened? And it was that I never really submitted to the Lord. I didn't turn and put faith in God in that particular thing. And so I got way off track. Who could relate to me in that? So the idea of repentance is always turning from to turning to. There's another example of this in Acts chapter 20 and verse 21. It says, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, repentance just in and of itself is turning away, but then it's turning to something. It's, it's turning to the Lord. But back where I was just reading in, in Acts 3 and 19, it says that to repent, but then the end result is so that times of refreshing will come to you from the presence of the Lord. I believe that the enemy works really hard to keep people out of a place of repentance. As a matter of fact, it's become a dirty word in a lot of, in a lot of Christian circles. I'll say some of the circles that I came out of, it was if you talked about repentance, they would say, oh, I, don't bring me into legalism. Look, it doesn't have anything to do with legalism. <laughs> it has to do with keeping your heart before the Lord so God can do in your life what he wants to do. If you're walking your own way, times of refreshing will not come to you from the presence of God because, well, that's just because where times of refreshing come from, from the presence of God. And if you're walking your own way, you're not going to experience it. I was trying to say it a more eloquent way, but that's just the only way I can, th I can say it. <laughs> Amen. Let me show you this. Talking about just culturally what, what we've lost concerning repentance and I love how the Lord will tell me to preach something, and then he'll, he'll show me things like right at the last minute. It's like, oh, yeah. Here's a, a picture of Charles Finney. Very rough-looking picture, by the way. <laughs> Whew. Had to have been the power of God to draw people in because he looked rough. But anyways. Oh, yeah, they had to hold a smile for a long time. But anyways. So Charles Finney, this is what Charles Finney said. And by the way, Charles Finney was largely responsible for the second great awakening that took place in our country. We've had two greats, and we're on the verge of a third. And I'm going to tell you what the third is made up of. It's made up of a lot of components, but it, see, the idea of, of the Lord restoring his apostolic church, it's not just a revival awakening. It's not just a repentance awakening. It's not just a worship awakening. It's all of the elements of God moving forward at one time. Because that's, that's why the Lord said it's, it's first apostle, not first like this. Because, again, I've said this many times, but when you go up, that's fine. Just go ahead and take that and flip it like this. Because the higher you go, the more of a servant you are. That's the way the kingdom of God works. Isn't that what Jesus did? He lowered himself to the point of death to lift everybody else up. But when you talk about apostle, it says first apostle. Does everybody in here believe the Bible to be 100% the truth? Let me just see a show of hands, okay? So it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28. It says first, and it, and it means in order, also in authority, but it means in, in order of time, so before things, all of the other elements can be there, the apostolic has to go first. The last, I believe the last, but the third, the next great awakening that's going to happen is going to largely be moved in that. And true apostolic authority is not raising certain people up high like we've seen some apostles and prophets do and people of that nature, but it's really raising up the rest of the body of Christ as good moms and dads do. 
That's what it's going to look like. And what it's going to do, it's going to usher in the gifts of healing. And it's going to usher in tongues and interpretation of tongues and strong prophetic acts and great worship. Why? Because the apostles are so great? No, because they've lowered themselves and said, Father, help me raise up a generation of people that can glorify you and work together as you want them to work together. That's what that's going to look like. And I'm telling you, it's powerful. But there are certain elements in every awakening, every revival, every outpouring, whatever, however you want to say it, there are certain elements that are involved in repentance consistently is always one of those things that's there. And this is what Charles Finney said. And I'm going to give you something of the person who I will not mention their name, but knew or something that they said because they're confused. But here's what Charles Finney, Charles Finney said. He said, revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance, followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. It's giving up one's will to God in deep humility. Now, I've been around some people, if they heard that, they would say, oh, that's just legalism. That's just being harsh. No, that's being humble. That's saying, Lord, we can't do this without you. Forget an awakening for a second. We can't live our everyday life without God being in the midst of it and really be successful. We have to have him. We have to come back to a place. By the way, we're going to, and I'll share more of this next week, but we're going to build a a prayer room over there. We've got a whole nother space that's gonna come available. And I haven't talked to the board yet about it, but I know they'll say yes. But because anytime we spend more money, it's a board decision, but I know they'll say yes. But anyways, we're gonna build a whole prayer room because the Lord says that's how important prayer is. Because when you come back to prayer, you come back to a place of humility saying, God, we have, to, we have to have you. It's not to beg God for something because we stand and live in his fullness already. But it's coming back going, God, we stand and live in your fullness already because of you, not because of us. Not because of our great revelation, but because of the position we have in Christ Jesus. And when we, we come back to that place, I really believe we're going to see at least the beginning stages of a Who wants to see another great awakening in our country? Who knows and understands that if we don't have one, our country is sunk. We have to have it. So we have to go back and ask ourselves, what do we need? Charles Finney says that we have to have, to have a renewed conviction of sin and repentance. Now, let me read you something from a newer minister. Again, I will not mention his name. Most of you probably wouldn't know who he is. And I love this brother, and he has a lot of great ministry. But he says, this is what he said, there is no force more destructive in the life of a believer than that of a guilty conscience. There is a fine line here that needs, there needs to be some separation. To live in guilt and condemnation is not healthy for anybody. And so in that respect, he's correct for what he's saying. We're not supposed to live with this consciousness of sin to where every time we go to the Lord, it's like, oh God, I did this and I did that. And I did that. No, we're supposed to come boldly. But on the flip side, we're also supposed to come with a repentant heart. We say, God, you know what I did. And I'm so thankful that I'm allowed to come in because of my relationship, because of my position in Christ Jesus, not because of me, but because of you. I'm so thankful. And we come in with a repentant heart. But this kind of language without clarification makes people believe that it's wrong to have conviction of sin. It's right to be convicted of sin. You know, if, here's, what, here's what it's like. If, you're not, if you don't have a conviction of doing something wrong, the Bible just calls it a, a seared conscience. This is, how, this is the picture the Lord gave me. It would be like if you didn't have any nerves or feeling in your hand and you're, you're cooking 
And when Liz and I are cooking in the kitchen together, she always gets in my way and it gets dangerous. But if you got two burners going and the other one didn't notify the other one that it was on, this didn't actually happen, but I could see it happening. And so anyways, and if you didn't have any nerves in your hand, you know, you could set your hand down on that burner and you would never know that your hand's getting ready to be fried, right? Because you wouldn't be able to feel it. Well, if you don't have conviction of what you're doing wrong because your conscience is so seared or you've lived underneath of this thing of conviction of sin is wrong. No, conviction of sin is right. It's right to stay tender to the Holy Ghost. Not for fear of hellfire, but fear that you're going to stick your hand into something, that you're going to put your soul into something that's going to scorch you bad. Amen. You can't find anywhere in the Bible. You can find where God forgives and he delivers and he is so gracious and merciful. You find that over and over and over, but you'll never find in the Bible anywhere where sin is not a dangerous place for people to live in. You won't find that. So what, is, what does this look like for us? This looks like we come to the Lord in confidence in who we are in Christ Jesus, but at the same time, we come in tremendous humility knowing that we have to have his help moving forward. It's not, see, when I come to the Lord in terms of anything that I've done wrong or whatever, which I know some of y'all are surprised, but I do, I occasionally do some things wrong. And so, come on now. When I come to the Lord, I don't come to him and say, God, will you please forgive me? I'm just so sorry for what I did. You understand there's, there's, a, there's a language that reveals a lack of understanding with something like that. I come in as bold as a lion and say, thank you, Jesus. I know I messed up and you know I messed up, but I thank you that I'm, I have a right standing with you because of my position in Christ Jesus that I'm seated with him, but at the same time, God, I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to do that stuff. It was dishonoring to you, is dishonoring to whoever else or whatever the situation is. You see the balance that's supposed to be there? So if we, all we do is we focus on our position that we're in in Christ Jesus, and we never talk about living a life of repentance and having a correct consciousness of sin to where we, we look at it and go, that's not right. If we don't live in that balance, we'll find ourselves off in la-la land. And with this one particular guy that I mentioned, he's been questioned over and over and over, are, are you in favor of universalism? Universalism is, is also called ultimate reconciliation, which is everybody's going to go to heaven, regardless of what you believe. And I can tell you now, that is a false heresy completely against the word of God. There are people that will not go to heaven when they die. And the Bible reveals that. I don't ever want someone to hear me preach and wonder, does he believe in universalism? I also don't want people to hear me preach and think, man, if I don't go back and confess everything that I've ever done wrong in my life, I'm going to go to hell. You understand the balance that I'm trying to paint here? We need to be confident in who we are in Christ. If you see repentance, repentance isn't so much about dealing with all of the individual sins as keeping your heart before the Lord. It's really about just keeping yourself humble before the Lord. If you have to go back and deal with every individual sin in order to be right with God, forget it. I mean, I remember Brother Andrew saying this, that, you know, if that was the case, you'd have to, the only way to go to heaven is to just kill you right after you get saved. You lead somebody to the Lord, and man, you just kill them right there. Because as, as soon as you get saved, everything's clean and brand new or whatever. But if it's based off of you just doing everything perfect after that point, forget about it. Nobody's going to do it. And you say, well, 
We have to go back and repent of, of our sins. Well, whether it's a big sin or a little sin, you're guilty before the Lord. Who can remember all the things that they do wrong? I mean, I mean, honestly, I mean, if you were to literally, even in the last 24 or 48 hours and go back to all of the little individual things, and you think, man, I thought that was wrong, or I looked that way, or I didn't do that. I mean, you wear yourself. God doesn't want us to live like that. But when we are consciously doing something wrong, we need to not have a prideful spirit about us that says, I don't have to worry about that. I'm right with God. Okay. Yeah, you're right with God, but you're not living right with God. You understand what I'm saying? You're not doing things right before him and you can't grow like that. You can't advance like that. You won't see the power of God in your life like that. Old time religion would say, that if you don't do everything right, God's not going to pour out a spirit. And, and it puts it all back on you and your, your level of performance. I believe the balance is that if you're not doing things right in terms of keeping your heart before the Lord, you don't position yourself to receive everything that the open heaven has to reveal and give us. To me, that's the proper balance that's supposed to be there. Does that make sense to you all? Because when he talks about repenting, it's so that times of refreshing will come to you from the presence of God. So as believers, as real disciples, this is characteristic number one that I'm going to talk about, and then just I'm out of time. <laughs> but this is characteristic number one that disciples are supposed to walk in, is they're supposed to walk, and a, and a real disciple will live a life of repentance before the Lord. I live not a life of perfection, but I live a life of repentance before God all of the time. And when I... When I come to something and I realize that I thought wrong or that I did something wrong or that I treated somebody wrongly, I always go back and say, Lord, I recognize that I don't walk in perfection. I know that you've made me cleanse and you've made me new on the inside. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but I recognize I don't walk it out perfectly. And I will go back and to the best of my ability, I will make those things right. That's living a life of repentance before the Lord and being willing for the Lord to bring correction to you. And then when he does, you say, Father, I, re I receive that correction. We're supposed to live like that. You know, if we would live a repented lifestyle before the Lord, it would, it would, basically, it would basically fix, I'll say, 98% of the problems that we have in our life. Because does the Lord, does he not have all wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding, able to give us everything that we need? But you know what happens is that we sometimes we will go and say, God, I need help. He gives us the help, but then we walk right back out and we do the same thing that we've been doing. God loves you, but that's not, that's not what repentance looks like. Repentance looks like God says to do this, so you turn from what you were doing and you turn to what God says to do. And you simply just walk that out in your life. Amen. Let's go back here and look in Acts chapter 2, and in verse 30, 37, let me read this into verse 38. Are you all still with me? It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, I want you to go and build a great big church. I want you to, no, you could put in a lot of blanks in there, a lot of things in there, but he said, repent. Everybody say, repent's not a dirty word. So then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, I want to clarify something right here. I've heard before 
And this is where some people will say you have to be water baptized if you're going to be saved. That is not what this is saying right here. In our language, it looks like it could be saying that you're baptized so that your sins will be forgiven. The real baptism is what takes place when you get born again and you go down in the waters of baptism with him and you're risen again in newness of life. Amen. So it's not water baptism that saves you. But what he was saying here is that that you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And the word for there is the Greek word ace, and it means in or into. So it says be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ into the remission of sins. And the word remission there, the remission deals more with the effects of sin than the actual sin. So when he's talking about having your sins remitted or for the remission of your sins, he's talking about being free from the actual sin. So what causes us to be free from sin is just going back to a place of repentance. And remember, repentance isn't going, I'm not going to do that thing anymore, and then trying to do it in our own strength. Repentance is, I'm not going to do that thing anymore, and God, the only way I can't go that way is if I have your help and you turn to God. That's, I mean, this is one of the most basic understanding, understandings that we can have, but it's something that's lost We want to go from the place of being cut to the heart to we want to see great manifestation. But I believe the church is missing some steps. And one of them is that we have to live a life of repentance before the Lord. Because remember, the nature of a disciple is one who lives in humility. Repentance requires us to live in humility. Because it, it always brings us back to a place of not I'm a worm, but I did something wrong. And Lord, I need you to help me get straightened out in this area. Does that make sense? Man, I should have just gone to the last one where we just talked about miracles and people have been more excited. I'm not looking for a, an effect outwardly, but I'm looking for an effect inward, inwardly to where we go back and say, Lord, am I, really, am I really living in a place of repentance? Because what that looks like is that when God speaks, you say, yes, sir. And then, and then you say, all right, Lord, just show me how to do that. And whatever you tell me to do, I'll, I'll do that. Man, that's a, that's a good place to live, a good place to live. All the while, we've had this tremendous revelation that God's given to, to the body about his love, about his grace, about his mercy, about our position that we have with him, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Look, while you're working it out in your life, it doesn't change your relationship with him. You're still his son or his daughter. What an awesome revelation. Because your relationship with him isn't based off of your works. It's based off the works of Jesus. But our goal is that we work out this salvation with fear and trembling. That means with fear and trembling, to me, I look at that and I think that goes back to the fear of the Lord. And we just go back and say, God, I want to take what's in me. And humbly, I stay before you in repentance and say, help me to live this thing out. And I can only do it with you. I can only do it with your help. Amen. That makes sense. Is that ringing some bells in here? Hallelujah. Let me go on and finish reading this and then, and then we'll quit. I didn't even get to the really where I wanted to get, but it's, I, I, it, it's awesome. So it says, let every one of you be baptized in Jesus Christ for the remission or for the freedom or into the freedom of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation Then those who gladly received this were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 
And then the next thing it says is they continued steadfastly. And then in the following things, they continued steadfastly. And let me say this, and I'm an, I don't have time to get into that this week, but everything that they continued steadfastly and then all, and right there written, all required humility. The nature of what we're supposed to walk in as disciples always requires humility in every, oh man, I wish I could go there. I just don't have time. The Lord showed me this. And I'll say this in closing. The Lord showed me this this past week, and I put it, I, sometimes the Lord will show me things, and I'll put it on Facebook, and I get yearly reminders of great revelations the Lord gave me. And he said, the greatest revealer of pride in us is not what we can see in ourselves, but it's what other people can see in us. Because see, when it comes to pride, is, is in opposition to everything I'm talking about here. Because when you talk to someone about repentance, if they say, no, I don't need to repent or don't, I don't need to live like you're saying, that's pride that's speaking and that's incorrect. But if you can put yourself in a position where you allow other people, and this is the apostles' doctrine, which I was not gonna get into, but I'm gonna just say this. If you can get to a place where you allow other people to speak into your life, that's a place of humility and if you allow them, they can reveal pride issues in you that are keeping you from walking the fullness of what God has in your life. But what happens is we get this, this layer and this scale of, of pride there that we don't want anyone to come in and point out anything wrong for whatever issue we're dealing with. And when we do that, we don't have revealed, because we need the body. We don't have revealed the things that are issues in our life like we need to because we are not an honest critic of ourselves. But when you can have a brother or a sister, a mom, a pop in the Lord that can say, look, that's an issue in your life and it's going to cause problems. You need to deal with it. And they, they walk it out with you in love. That's going to cause tremendous benefit to your life. But that requires humility for you to be able to do that. The greatest revealer of pride in you are the people around you that love you that can say, that's a stumbling block in your life. I see, I see the pride as a continued problem in the body of Christ as a whole. And I'm saying that this church isn't going to operate in pride. And most of the time when we talk about pride, people think arrogance. And they think, oh, well, we just won't promote one man or something. That, that's not, listen, pride is about, remember the, the, the issue of Leviathan in Job chapter 41. And it said, that the scales are so, and it's the picture of, a, of this fire-breathing dragon, that the scales are so close, close together that no wind can pass between them. And Leviathan is a picture of pride. And what it's saying is that when you've got such a layer of pride that the Spirit of God can't flow in you, that's an issue because wind represents the Spirit. Air represents the moving of the Spirit. If you're missing a moving of the Spirit in your life, you know what you're probably missing? is going back to a place of repentance, humility, and saying, God, whatever needs to change in my thinking, Lord, I'll just, I'll say yes to you. You know what I've found when I've got a dry season? Anybody ever had a dry season? It's like, man, God, are you, are you speaking to me anymore? What's going on? Most of the time, the Lord will say, well, go back and listen to the last thing that I told you. Because most of the time, the Lord will say, not most of the time, he will always, he will tell us something. I'm not saying he doesn't love us or doesn't fellowship with us or whatever, but he'll tell us something, and when we don't do it, and we wonder why it's dry for a week or two or three or four or six months, 
It's because the Lord is saying, I'm not going to move forward until you go back and deal with the thing that I told you to deal with. As a matter of fact, we can't move forward if you don't go back and deal with that thing because that thing is hindering you from the next thing. And if you, then if you don't deal with that thing, then it'll hinder you from the next thing. And there's no condemnation in this, but man, we are a mess. Human beings are a mess. And when we got born again, we changed on the inside, but we didn't change on the outside. It's a process for people to go from glory to glory to glory. And the process is from when you get born again until you physically die. It's just, you, just, you just never change. So if you stay in a place of humility and repentance before the Lord, God says, do this, and you go, yes, sir. God says, do this, and you go, yes, sir. Do this, yes, sir. You find yourself in a really awesome place to where amazing things begin to happen. You know what happened in this church? Happened because I began to walk in repentance in my life. To where the Lord said, I want you to deal with this. I want you to deal with your insecurities. I want you to deal with your thought life. I want you to deal with the particular demonic spirits that are in control of this church and not you. You know how hard that was to do? It was impossible in my own strength. But when I said, yes, sir, and I began to step into it, all of a sudden things began to, to break loose. And it, that's where you step in the supernatural. How many of y'all know that I'm not crawling into your head at night and giving you dreams? I can't do that, but God can do that. What's, what's awaiting us on the horizon for the supernatural? What kind of signs and wonders and miracles are going to be done? Because before that, we've had a fear of the Lord. And before that, we've, we've continued steadfastly. And before that, we found freedom. And before that, we found repentance. We just said, God, whatever you want to do. God, I'm going to go your way. I'm not going to go my way anymore. Amen? See, this is a lifestyle that we, you have to cultivate this lifestyle to where you just always go back to the Lord and say, God, I have to have you. I can't do it without your help. I have to have you, God. And I believe that's why the Lord is, is highlighting prayer at this hour so strongly. Because when you come to the Lord in prayer, and again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you come to the Lord in prayer, and it's a real true praying. Because sometimes people come to the Lord in prayer and they just, they just lay out all of their stuff and they don't look for answers. That's not prayer. That's you complaining. But when you come to the Lord really in prayer, you can lay out your stuff, but then you say, God, I have to have your help. And I believe that the pride in the church of not going to the Lord saying we have to have your help has put a layer of scales there that's kept the wind of the Spirit from moving in the church like it needs to. We come back to the place of the prayer room. We come back to the place of being on our knees saying we have to have your help. That's when we're going to see even greater things in greater measure than what we're seeing already. Amen? Does that sound pretty good? It sounds like a good deal. See, repentance isn't a dirty word. It's a good thing. It's an awesome thing. It's a great place to live because when you do it, times of refreshing will come to you from the presence of God. Who in here needs some refreshing in their life? Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com. Thank you.